welcome to Arbitral Insights, a podcast series brought to you by our international arbitration practice lawyers here at Reed Smith. I'm Jose Estigarraga, Global Head of Reed Smith's International Arbitration Practice. I hope you enjoy the industry commentary, insights, and anecdotes we share with you in the course of this series, wherever in the world you are. If you have any questions about any of the topics discussed, please do contact our speakers. And with that, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Arbitral Insights. I'm Donald Sham, a dispute resolution partner at the Ritz Smith Hong Kong office. This episode provides a summary and practical tips relating to the recent revisions to the London Maritime Arbitrators Association arbitration terms, known as the LMAA terms. The terms have undergone their first revision since 2017. Today, we are joined by Andrew Stevens, a barrister called to the Bar of England and Wales. Andrew is a specialist in international arbitration with a particular focus in shipping and shipbuilding, especially in London, Hong Kong, and Singapore. Andrew was junior counsel for the LMAA in the well-known UK Supreme Court case of Halliburton and Chubb. Andrew, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Donald. Before we start, Andrew, why is an update to LMAA terms important? Well, I think there are three reasons why any update to the LMAA terms is important. They are mainly to do with the sheer number of cases which apply the LMA terms or terms similar to them. So firstly, in terms of maritime international arbitration, the LMA terms are are dominant, frankly. Somewhere between 18 and 90% of all international maritime arbitrations are seated in London, and the vast majority of those are subject to LMA terms. Secondly, the, the LMA terms are influential in maritime arbitration outside of London, So the HKMAG rules are expressly based on LMAA terms and Hong Kong handles about 7% of London's caseload and the SCMA rules in Singapore are very similar. Uh, Singapore handles about 14% of of London's caseload. And finally, even in London, generally, LMAA terms arbitration is really quite significant in the market Uh, and using figures, averages between 2014 and 2018, there was something like just over 300 LCIA arbitrations commenced each year in London in that period. And taking the the 2018 figures for the ICC, there were 73 ICC arbitrations commenced with a London seat and uh, 842 ICC arbitrations globally in 2018. And that all compares to on average, around 1,700 LMA arbitrations commenced each year between 2014 and 2018. So it's worth keeping up to date with LMA terms revisions because a lot of parties to arbitration use them. And let's not forget, we're not just talking about charter party disputes. A lot of LMA disputes I act in, and I know you do too, Donald, are shipbuilding disputes and offshore energy disputes that can often be of very high value, over $100 million. Indeed, Andrew. I understand that the LMAA has also made updates that are very important with regard to the impact of the pandemic on arbitration hearings in light of travel restrictions, social distancing, and lockdowns. Yes, you're absolutely right, Donald. I think the key thing to talk about in the latest updates, the LMAA terms, is the guidance or the requirements laid down by the LMAA for remote or hybrid remote hearings. Excellent. 
So this sounds really useful, not only for arbitration users in the maritime, shipping and energy sectors, but also for any users of arbitration generally. Yes, I'd agree with that, Donald. Before we get on to the key topic of remote arbitration, Andrew, can you summarize what the other main updates are to the LMA terms? Yeah, sure. So I think there are five updates to the LMA terms, which are worth pointing out relatively quickly. The first is a very important change that's been made uh, throughout the LMA terms uh, 2021 in recognition of the abundance of female arbitrators who sit in LMA arbitrations. Uh, He in in the terms is replaced with he slash she or a gender neutral option throughout. Secondly, there's now a, a quicker and cheaper mechanism for constituting the tribunal with a sole arbitrator if the respondent fails to appoint within 14 days of notice of arbitration. So worth flagging up, it's quite important. If you delay as a respondent, tough luck. The other side's arbitrator will probably and quite quickly end up being the sole arbitrator. Thirdly, there's a quicker and cheaper procedure for appointing a substitute arbitrator where an original arbitrator is incapable of conducting the proceedings or attending a hearing. Uh, The change effectively removes the need to apply to the court. Uh, The LMA president can make the substitution. Fourthly, there's a new express provision for two arbitrators to be able to continue to make decisions if one of the three is removed. And fifth and finally, the, the LMA questionnaire requires there's been some changes to it and, and it requires more a more detailed breakdown of costs. So you can see a lot of those tweaks are, are sort of fine tuning to reflect the desire for speedy and cost effective proceedings. And the LMA is very receptive to feedback and suggested changes and it encourages users to submit such feedback. But having mentioned those five changes, um, three other changes require slightly greater emphasis and consideration. The first is in relation to witness statements. And then there are two changes reflective of the impact of the pandemic. The first is provision for the electronic signature of awards. But note that parties can still request hard copy signatures, uh, which may be important on enforcement in some jurisdictions. And as already mentioned, uh, secondly, guidelines on remote hearings. And all of these changes take effect from the 1st of May 2021. Thank you, Andrew. That is a really useful overview. On the first of those last three points that you mentioned, witness evidence. Isn't the topic of witness evidence something that recently received close attention from the courts in England Wales? Yes, that's right. The overlawyering of witness statements is very much discouraged or not permitted even by the civil procedure rules in courts in England and Wales. And those rules have been tightened in this regard. It's been made clear that witnesses in litigation in England and Wales should not simply go through every document in a very long witness statement effectively written by their lawyer arguing the case. Each witness should address only the key issues that they can speak to. And the lawyers in litigation also have to produce a list of all the documents shown to the witness in preparing the witness statements and a declaration of compliance also has to be made. Hmm. How is this playing out? in relation to London maritime arbitration? Mm, that's a really good question. So it's it's often the case that changes in civil procedure rules bleed into or inspire changes to arbitral procedure. And they, they might also reflect the desires of arbitrators and what comes before them. So you often see, for instance, uh, parties to arbitration making 
quote unquote part 36 style offers, which is an English civil procedure concept designed to, to encourage parties to settle or effectively punish parties who do not accept an offer that they later do not beat. Uh, you, you often see that in arbitration, even though it's a civil procedure thing. Uh, here in relation to witness statements, the LMAA, all the arbitrators who have input on the LMAA terms have displayed similar dissatisfaction to that shown by the courts and judges regarding the over-lawyerization of witness statements. Mm. So in this respect, what are the changes to the LMA terms? So paragraph two of the checklist in the fourth schedule to the terms adds a new paragraph A, which says that a witness statement should ideally be in the witness's own words, i.e. code for lawyers don't write it for the witnesses. Secondly, uh, it carries on, it should only contain evidence as to matters of fact which need to be proved by the evidence of the witness in relation to one or more issues of fact to be decided and about which the witness has personal knowledge or recollection. So pausing there, generally a witness will not need to go through email by email, document by document to prove what those emails and documents say if it's clear on their face what they say or what they mean. A long narrative of correspondence and documents is not what's what's hoped for, not what is needed. The witness might, though, address key controversial documents where they can speak to it from their own knowledge. And what the witness does address should only be issues of fact which the tribunal has to decide. In other words, make your witness statements more focused and shorter. And Carrying on, the terms say a witness statement should never be used to argue a case. Well, that's pretty clear what that means. So the important thing here is that lawyers all around the world involved in LMAA and indeed maritime arbitration or arbitration generally should pay attention to this change of, of expectation amongst arbitrators uh, or the voicing of, of this expectation by arbitrators. There may be cost sanctions if lawyers and witnesses fail to comply with this. Uh, and a practical downside to this is that for lawyers who use work on the witness statements at the witness statement stage to really get into the detail of the case by working very closely on monstrously long statements, that's no longer likely to be as feasible if witness statements have to be more focused. So lawyers should think quite hard about how and when they they need to really root out the detail in the case. And in my view, uh, the earlier the better, but that's an ideal world scenario it doesn't always play out like that thank you for your insights andrew so now let's move on to another topic in relation to electronic signature of awards being permitted that sounds rather self-explanatory yes i think that's right but it comes with a health warning though parties should check whether an electronic signature as opposed to a hard copy signature will impact enforcement of awards in any relevant jurisdiction and plan accordingly so that brings us on to the updates of the LMA terms relating to remote and hybrid hearings. I understand that you were pretty much at the cutting edge of these developments. Well, I, I should say that I had absolutely no input in the in the drafting of the guidelines themselves or the guidelines themselves. But yes, in some respects, I suppose I could say that I was sort of at the coalface when this came about. The context being that in, in January, February 2020, I was preparing for a very heavy four-week LMAA arbitration hearing in London arising out of more than a dozen shipbuilding contracts between two Far Eastern parties. 
And for this hearing, clients, lawyers, witnesses and experts were all due to fly in from many places in, in the Far East, Singapore, mainland China and Hong Kong, India and other Southeast Asian nations. It was, it was a pretty big case. And even though lockdowns didn't happen in the UK until March 2020, in January 2020, like many people people who follow events in, in China and the fires closely, we were very aware of the risk of the novel, as it then was, coronavirus being brought over to the hearing room and of people maybe not being able to travel home at the end of the hearing uh, if lockdowns started to spread around the world. So we ended up in late January and early February 2020 having to work out a way to proceed with the hearing almost entirely remotely or hybrid with only the barristers and arbitrators in the hearing room and by the end of the hearing a very small number of expert witnesses and everybody else in India, Hong Kong, Singapore and other jurisdictions joining remotely with electronic bundles with online interpreters and so on. And one of the arbitrators in that hearing spearheaded the drafting of the guidelines which were published only a short while later and are part of of these updates so in in some respects yes sort of a, a coal face when these changes were, were coming about right and, and the guidelines which you mentioned are, are the new sixth schedule to the AMA terms 2021 right it's called the guidelines for the conduct of virtual and semi-virtual hearings yes that's right what are the main what are the three most important elements of those guidelines okay so before considering the three specific points that i would highlight i think it's worth considering the overall context of the change to remote and hybrid hearings as an overarching point having done many weeks of fully remote and hybrid hearings in court and arbitration the overall point is that they really can work extremely well remote and hybrid hearings work extremely well and very little is lost if done well. So uh, overall, the, the widespread and successful adoption around the world of remote hearings uh, is probably a good thing for, for clients in the long run as the lay users of arbitration uh, because they f- may find it much more appealing, whatever the seat of the arbitration, to have disputes in, say, Hong Kong or London or Singapore arbitrated without having to fly into the hearings, without having to disrupt their normal working lives if they can join by video and be cross-examined. And I think uh, from a procedural point of view, many shorter procedural applications that might have been decided on the papers rather than requiring everybody or the legal teams to fly into the seat for a hearing, but which might have really benefited from an oral hearing. The arbitrator would have been assisted by having an oral hearing, but it was would be too costly to do it. I think hearings like that will probably now be more likely to be heard virtually. And that's that's another really good thing, I think. But the main burden or the downside is preparation and how much longer things can take to prepare, or more precisely, how much less time you have as an advocate in the hearing. Uh, and if you don't prepare properly, and don't prepare smartly, it can really hamper the efficiency and effectiveness of the presentation of your client's case. So these new guidelines, and I think the the importance of these guidelines is is that they're very useful in trying to make sure that you are efficient and effective in any form of advocacy on behalf of your client. So that's the overall context to to zoom in on the three points that I would highlight. The first practical point is tech, 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 prep, prep, prep. So for example, 
a long time ahead of the hearing. You need to be making sure all of the internet connections and equipment are in place, that they work. And when you discover that they don't, you you have time before the hearing starts to make them work and to remedy any issues that could prevent the arbitration hearing from advancing. Yeah, I, I note that that is in the very first section of the guidelines, isn't it? Which is headed early preparation for the hearing. Yes, yes, and and I think it's top of the list for a good reason. And in in my experience, it's it's vital that you know, firstly you plan and check all of the tech and practical arrangements as early as possible with all of the participants, including the tribunal, interpreters, transcribers, witnesses, and experts, and leave time to remedy any issues. And secondly, the the legal team and the client need to make sure that they set aside sufficient time for this. This is extra preparatory work. You've got to make sure it doesn't eat into the usual time required to prepare properly for a hearing. Right. So Andrew, what's the um, second key point that you you have? Uh, that, That strange word that lawyers use, bundles. Bundles, bundles, bundles is my second second point uh as you know donald bundles is a word that that lawyers use to describe the collection of documents which is made available to the tribunal and the parties at the hearing and the bundles can be made up of just a handful of ring bound files or in some of our cases hundreds and hundreds of lever arch files and they are vital bundles are vital in hearings the advocates need them well in advance of the hearing to prepare properly And the tribunal needs the bundles to be well organized to ensure the tribunal can follow the evidence and make its decisions with the evidence easily to hand. So as a frontline advocate, I cannot emphasize enough how important the bundles are for any hearing and how important it is to have them ready well in advance of any hearing. And in a remote or hybrid case, they have to be principally electronic with an option to have a hard copy. So for them to be electronic, they need to be well-managed and well-presented in a way that works electronically. And the documents must be searchable or hopefully be searchable. They must be consistently numbered. They should all be in the same orientation and the files or the PDF files shouldn't be so big that they crash or that you just cannot use them. And certainly in 2020, I had to spend quite a bit of time advising on electronic bundles. Uh, And now I generally point lawyers I'm working with to the LMAA guidance and some uh, English court guidance and commercial bar association guidance on electronic bundles that came out during the first lockdowns when the English commercial court and other courts around the world miraculously kept functioning through a rapid shift to remote hearings. So I would urge all disputes lawyers listening to this to seek out this guidance and read it because the bundle is the embodiment of the key evidence in the case. It must be properly presented and it cannot be left until the last minute. And and consider also the issue of of updates to bundles or things being added to the bundles during hearings. You'll know this, Donald, but you, you can't send a whole new PDF to the tribunal on day seven of the hearing because one page has been added to it because by then the tribunal and council will have written on or marked up the original pdf and you're going to send them a whole new one that they haven't got their markings on so you need a system for updates and and i've had to advise a lot in the past on that but these guidelines prompt reflection on that and and prompt planning for it so again i urge all lawyers 
to read these guidelines. And the part of the guidelines that we're talking about here is, is section five. Right, I absolutely agree with you, Andrew. Like good bundles are so important to the smooth running of hearings. And ultimately, good bundles will also save costs and time. So let's move mm -hmm. on to your third and final key point, Andrew. What is it? Yes, my third and final point uh, is quite simply etiquette. Even though a hybrid or remote hearing is happening on your computer screen in a way not dissimilar to, to how you, you might catch up with a friend on WeChat video calls or Zoom coffee breaks or FaceTime, all participants must remember what an important and serious event an arbitration hearing is. And it's important for lawyers to remind their clients and witnesses and experts of that. And again, the guidelines prompt reflection, prompt the reader to consider this issue. Thank you very much, Andrew. I know that you have a lot of tips to share on how to prepare for and to succeed in remote and hybrid arbitration hearings. Sadly, though, etiquette <laughs> dictates that we bring this podcast to an end. It has been a pleasure speaking with you today on this episode, and I'm sure our listeners appreciate the practical tips that you've kindly shared. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Donald, as it always is, and, and I can't wait until the next time we get to catch up in London, Hong Kong, or, or on the mainland again. Absolutely, Andrew. Hopefully, we'll be able to catch up in person very, very soon. As for our audience, we hope the podcast was helpful. Thanks for listening, and do tune in to our next episode of Arbitral Insights. Arbitral Insights is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's global international arbitration practice, email Joseas de Garaga at jia at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcasts on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at Reedsmith LLP on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. Any views, opinions, or comments made by any external guest speaker are not to be attributed to Reed Smith LLP or its individual lawyers. All rights reserved. <laughs>